This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. In this town, there is no off-season. The news never stops, and neither do we. It's always game day in Cleveland with Andy Baskin and Daryl Leiter. It's always game day in Cleveland, another special edition as we find out exactly what the future holds for the Cleveland Browns, or did we? Yep, we're talking about Deshaun Watson. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. It's always game day in Cleveland. If you like what you're listening to, please give us a uh, subscribe. We'd love it, or a couple stars along the way, or whatever you want to do. Uh, and as we've been doing for the past few weeks, we've been detailing the ins and outs of the Cleveland Browns, and obviously a huge decision on this special edition of the podcast where we talk about Deshaun Watson. Judge C- Sue L. Robinson has made her decision. Her decision is Deshaun Watson should sit out six games. Daryl Ryder, you heard the news, and uh, what say you based on his violation of the uh, NFL uh, public conduct policy? Well, her decision goes beyond the six-game suspension. He is also, uh, per her uh, findings of discipline, he is not to engage in any massage therapy uh, that has not been coordinated or approved through the team. And also, he's to have no adverse involvement with law enforcement, and he must not commit any additional uh, offenses related to uh, the conduct policy. So uh, a rather thorough explanation, I thought, from Suell Robinson. I expected nothing less from a former federal judge. 16 pages in length. It outlined the process. It outlined uh, the, uh, the NFL's case against Watson and why they were seeking such a harsh discipline. Uh, it included what she felt were the findings of fact from her perspective, and, uh, and that Watson violated all three areas in which the NFL accused him of. She also outlined why she did not go beyond a six-game suspension and how basically previous precedent played a role the fact that the NFL's policies really haven't been written to reflect something like this and that she was not uh, you know, charged with setting 
uh, precedent in this case. She was charged with uh, basically coming up with discipline if, in fact, she found a violation of the policy that was in line with uh, current NFL policy and uh, standards and practices. Um, just going through that and just uh, I do want to get with the six games. I just think from legal aspect, it's interesting because never before have they used someone who was independent to listen to the uh, repercussions of a conflict between the NFL PA or NFL players and the NFL. So I just I find it interesting that she uses uh, past precedent as something that uh, she could go to here, considering that they've never used someone independent. But that's just a, a random thought in the big picture. And I, I don't know if that means anything. The bigger picture is he's out for six games. And um, I, I'll be honest with you, Daryl, when I first heard it, I was like, it feels like that's great. You got six games, you missed 17 last year. Uh, you know, and as it was said on Sunday night that the NFLPA would not contest her ruling uh, and that they right. would live by it where the NFL didn't say anything and were kind of in a three day holding period, depending on what they want to do. So um, I, I did find it interesting. I thought six games is uh, more than fair. And uh, if he gets the opportunity to jump out there for week seven, depending on what the NFL does, um, I think the Browns should count their blessings and be happy that he's back on the field if that happens for game seven. And that was just my initial thoughts. Your initial thoughts, Daryl. Yeah, well, I, look, I think Sue L. Robinson wanted to suspend him longer. I, I really do. Just based on the report that she wrote and what she detailed in uh, – in the second segment of this podcast, I am going to go through her findings um, because I don't think that they have been adequately covered uh, as far as the, the specifics. Well, they didn't really – what time did they actually come out? They uh, weren't out early this morning. We just knew yeah, what the verdict yeah. was. Um, it came out mid-afternoon. Okay. And um, But just to really explain to people – because again, this is somebody who. Well, hey, hang on, Daryl. Before you get to that, what did you think of six games? What did you think of six? Well, games? I, I, I think that uh, you know, I think the Watson and the Browns should count their blessings and pray that the NFL does not appeal this. Because I think if the NFL appeals this and it goes to the commissioner's office, whether it's Roger Goodell who hears it or he appoints someone to hear it, I think that the, the, the discipline is going to be worse. And and that's probably what we thought, but then the NFLPA would come back and sue. I mean, that's probably what would happen. Now well, the, of course, the NFL, remember, this, is ahead, the the NFL this is the process that they collectively bargained that an independent right. arbitrator would would go through and uh, hear the case, hear both sides, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in in discipline like this, that uh, that person, in this case, Sue L. Robinson, would then issue findings and recommend the discipline. And either side then would have the opportunity to appeal. And in this instance, I think a lot of us thought that it was going to be Watson who would appeal the decision or the NFLPA on behalf of Watson who would appeal this decision. And it turns out uh, need to be worried about the NFL appealing this decision. Sue L. Robinson's jointly appointed by the National Football League and the NFL Players Association. So she has really uh, – she's not on either side here. She's in the middle. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting to hear people say that she was on ownership side when I was like, this is the most fair the NFLPA has ever had it in any conflict between the players and, and, the, and the NFL, which essentially is the owner. I have read her report three times today already, and I'm probably going to read it a fourth and probably a fifth. I've got to print it out. <laughs> 
so that I can access it and, and quote from it uh, when needed, uh, you know, for my job. But it is very, very comprehensive. And again, when we get to the point in the podcast where I actually read her findings, you're going to hear just how comprehensive and detailed this report really was. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Do you think over the next 72 hours, the NFL is going to essentially appeal to themselves and say, we're going to we're going to relook this? Yeah, I think that they will. Now, the for clarity for audience, the the commissioner is not going to appeal to himself. Okay, uh, my understanding is the people who presented on behalf of the NFL to Sue L. Robinson, those are most likely the people that are going to quote unquote appeal this to the commissioner's office should they do so. Okay, okay. so the commissioner is not going to be like, yeah, we're going to appeal this to myself. And yeah, but who's paying for that? Those people. Uh, I'm guessing the NFL will have to. Okay, so essentially, it is they are appealing um, to themselves. But I no, mean, they paid for the they they paid for uh, this defense team uh, for the NFL to. Or I don't know if it's defense is no. It, the, it, the, I, in this case, it'd be the prosecution. Yeah. So the it, NFL it, paid it, for it, the it, prosecution. Was, yeah. You know, this is the prosecution. The yeah. NFL so I mean, prosecuting look, the case. I mean, just follow the money. It, it, I mean, I know people want to laugh and say it might not be 100 percent correct, but the NFL is going to look at it themselves and figure out if they like what Sue L. Robinson said. Really, that's what it comes down to, right? That's right. fair. Well, and again, and <clears throat> she makes this point in her findings that you can't just rewrite policy because of public outcry on the fly. There has to be a process for that policy to be implemented beforehand. And that was, I think, a major reason why she came up with the six games that that was kind of the baseline. As she pointed out, I, I, I think it just off the top of my head, I think it was two players who have gotten eight games. One player got 10 games and that player um, uh, had, uh, I think pled guilty uh, to a crime that the okay. player got 10 games. And she points mm-hmm. that out where, uh, and the, one of the mitigating factors in this too, uh, is she outlined uh you know, as things are defined, that this this was non-violent. Um, granted, all sexual assault is violent. Let's let's you know be be clear about that. But just you know, for legal purposes, uh, you know, violence was not included uh, in what Deshaun Watson has is been. Is that a- true? I'm just curious. Is that truly the? Yeah, I, I mean, is it's, that the legal definition of it? I, I think it's, that's- I mean, it's there. There is a uh, look. There is some legalese in this thing too. Like I said, you can tell this was written by a judge. I mean, okay. because I mean, there can be verbal sexual right. abuse that is not Correct. violent and intent. Correct. That's and like just, I said, okay, it's going to be very clear when I actually read verbatim the findings. Everything is going to be very, very clear to people because again, sure. I think it's important to read this for people so that they know. Uh, the unedited non-parsed you know ver- you know version of uh okay of so so here. before we get to that because i know you're you want to get to that and we're going to get to that in a second i just want to throw this one other uh point out if the nfl decides they do want to up the the punishment okay and then the nfl pa comes back and sues and this thing ends up in court i thought one of the most logical arguments i heard today was if you decide you're going to take this to a federal court, which is where it would go to, and right. you just had a federal former federal judge listen to the case, would a federal court not say, I, I understand you guys have an issue here, 
but you're wasting the taxpayer's money because you just went out and hired a federal judge to give you a ruling. And yet now that's not enough for you. So I I just think, uh, to be honest with you, from a non-football point of view, it is a complete waste of money from a taxpayer uh, like myself to say, hey, that's wrong. This this shouldn't... I, I just don't want to see a lawsuit come of this because that's our money on the line now. And it's a waste of our money. That's all. Right. Yeah. I mean, I certainly can't speak for federal court and how they would feel uh, about this. Should this land in their lap? But yeah, I mean, there is a chance that if uh, the NFL appeals and then either the commissioner or his designee then drops the hammer and says, yeah, six games wasn't sufficient here. We are going to go longer. Uh, and and then Watson seeks an injunction in federal court because that's what he's going to court for. He's going f- for most likely an injunction to be permitted to play. Correct. Correct. A, a, you know, until things can be resolved. I, um, I get the injunction part. It's the whole right. process no, I, of look, having to drag out another legal. I mean, the legal sure, issue. look, I'm sure there are plenty of cases that judges around the country see and they roll their eyes and they, you know, throw out of their courtroom in the, in the blink of an eye. I'm sure that kind of stuff happens all the time. I just, I don't, I I just, I, I have no idea how a federal court would feel if Watson or the NFLPA on behalf of Watson, you know, goes to federal court seeking an injunction because the, you know, again, this process was collectively bargained. Okay. I mean, this, this is what was in the, you know, collective bargaining agreement is like what, uh, less than two years old. It was completed in 2020. So this is, this system is fresh. It's new. This is the first case under it, but yeah, I mean, this is a collect, this is a collectively bargained process and the NFLPA signed off on. Yes. The commissioner is not the initial judge, jury and executioner. However, the commissioner can be the final judge, jury, and execution. And they agreed to it. And you know what? I'm at the point now with this entire case, and we're going to go to break because I want to hear what you have to say, but I'm at the point now that if Roger Goodell or the league says, hey, we don't like the way this played out, we don't like the decision, we're going up it, that's the end. Because I don't feel like paying for these guys to go to federal court. That's just me by myself, and and that's I'll leave it at that. I mean, whatever is decided now, they decided this together with their CBA. These both sides... Uh, for lack of a better term, you know, made their bed and now they've got to accept it because they both agreed to this contract. Um, I, I just want to, I'll leave you with this point and you can ponder this while we go to break here in a second. And then um, Daryl is going to go through the uh, the decision, but the statement from Jimmy and D Haslam, I just want to read it to you on quarterback Deshaun Watson, which came out uh, four o'clock of the day of the decision. Uh Throughout this process, Deshaun and his representatives have abided by the newly created and agreed upon process for the NFLPA and the NFL to defer to the uh, objective Judge Sue L. Robinson to comprehensively review all information and make a fair decision. We respect Judge Robinson's decision and at the same time empathize, empathize and understand that there have been many individuals triggered throughout this process. We know Deshaun is remorseful and that his decision has caused much heartache to many, and he will continue the work needed to show who he is on and off the field, and we will continue to support him. That was a statement from Jimmy and D. Haslam. We'll talk more about that and the ruling. Next, you're listening to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. 
Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's a special edition of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. An emergency podcast is what we like to call it when it's breaking news. And this is breaking news. Deshaun Watson handed a six-game suspension uh, by Judge Sue L. Robinson, the former federal judge. And that was her decision. Now we are in limbo, I would say, uh, as we await the appeals process for the NFL And technically it's three days, but Daryl, there's a way for this thing to go a little bit longer if both sides agree to that. So Daryl, let's get into the the stuff that you really want to talk about. I know you want to give a little disclaimer before we get into it. Yeah. I just want to tell our audience that uh, this particular segment of the podcast uh, and is uh, going to contain quotes that uh, have uh, material of a sexual nature If you're uncomfortable with that, my recommendation is to skip this segment of the podcast and go to our third segment. And the content that I will be reading is verbatim from Sue L. Robinson's report regarding the matter of Deshaun Watson. Okay, here we go. Let's hear it. So give me the the parts that uh, you have highlighted. Well, we're going to skip the, 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 she basically starts out by outlining the process, the record, uh, and the NFL's investigation. We're going to skip those parts and we're just going to go to, we're going to skip those and start on page five, my findings. Okay. And I'm going to just read these verbatim. Okay. Are we and, reacting then after you read uh, them? Yeah. Uh, we'll okay. do one because there are three separate allegations that the league made against Deshaun Watson and obviously she then found that Watson was guilty of a violation in each of those three things. So my findings, this is again, straight from Sue L. Robinson's report, verbatim, unedited, unparsed. The NFL alleges that Deshaun Watson violated three provisions of the policy by engaging in one sexual assault, two conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person. And three, conduct that undermines or puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. I will address each allegation in turn. One, conduct that qualifies as sexual assault. As noted above, the conduct of sexual assault is not defined in the CBA, the policy, or the report. On behalf of the NFL, one of its investigators defined the term in the evidentiary hearing as the unwanted sexual contact with another person. The NFL contends that Mr. Watson committed sexual assault by allegedly touching his penis to the woman without her consent. As it is the NFL's prerogative to impose the policy on its players, I am bound to accept the NFL's definition of sexual assault. 
Therefore, it is the NFL's burden to prove that it is more likely true than not that one, Mr. Watson intended to cause contact with his penis. Two, he did so for a sexual purpose. And three, he knew that such contact was unwanted. The record presented by the NFL to support its allegations of sexual assault includes many undisputed facts. For instance, there is no dispute that Mr. Watson used Instagram to contact these therapists and that he was clearly identified to them as a player for the NFL through Instagram. There is also no dispute that he reached out for private massage sessions with women whose professional qualifications were unknown to him, nor were their professional qualifications explored by him. Mr. Watson always forecast his desire that certain areas of his body be massaged, including his lower back, glutes, abs, and groin area. In all four cases, the therapists were willing to go forward with the massage. However, none of the therapists were willing to offer him massage services again. Finally, there is no dispute that Mr. Watson preferred a towel to the traditionally used sheet for draping, and there should be no dispute that a medium or small-sized towel will more likely slip off a body than a sheet, leaving a client exposed. Importantly, much of the alleged conduct is not, in and of itself, challenged as wrongful. The use of Instagram to advertise a business or to engage a business, for instance, is commonplace. There is evidence in the record that Mr. Watson's focus points, in parentheses, the lower back, glutes, abs, and groin area, are legitimate focus areas for professional athletes. Moreover, it is not unusual for therapists to inadvertently contact a male client's penis while treating those legitimate focus areas, nor for male clients to get an erection during a massage. Mr. Watson has not testified that he had erections or and inadvertently touched the therapists here. Instead, he has categorically denied the allegations against him, including that he ever developed an erection during a massage. It is difficult to give weight to a complete denial when weighted against the credible testimony of the investigators who interviewed the therapists and other third parties. Moreover, the totality of the evidence, in parentheses, including the undisputed facts relating to Mr. Watson's use of towels, his focus points, and the not uncommon experience of massage therapists to have contact with the erect penis of their male clients, end parentheses, lends support to my conclusion that it is more probable than not that Mr. Watson did have erections and that his erect penis contacted the therapists as claimed by them. With respect to whether the contact was intentional, the matter of intent generally must be inferred from circumstantial evidence in the absence of an admission. In this case, Mr. Watson reached out to women whose professional qualifications were unknown and unimportant to him. He insisted on using a towel, increasing the probability of exposure. He insisted on having the therapist focus on areas of his body that not uncommonly triggered erections, and he engaged in this pattern of conduct multiple times. I find this sufficient circumstantial evidence to support the NFL's contention, not only that the contact occurred, but that Mr. Watson was aware that the contact probably would occur and that Mr. Watson had a sexual purpose, not just a therapeutic purpose, in making these arrangements with these particular therapists. Finally, I find that the NFL has produced sufficient circumstantial evidence to prove that the last prong of the test, that Mr. Watson knew such sexualized contact was unwanted. 
Of course, there is no indication on the record that even experienced therapists, quote, want, end quote, such contact. And Mr. Watson certainly did not seek out the most experienced therapists. Moreover, there is credible evidence that one of the therapists expressed her discomfort of the unwanted contact to Mr. Watson during the sessions, and another of the therapists ended the session early. Given that none of these therapists accepted Mr. Watson's invitations to engage in further therapy sessions, I find the evidence sufficient to demonstrate that Mr. Watson knew or should have known that any contact between his penis and these therapists was unwanted. I therefore find that the NFL has carried its burden to prove by a preponderance of evidence that Mr. Watson engaged in sexual assault as defined by the NFL against the four therapists identified in the report. Mr. Watson violated the policy in this regard. Okay. A lot to, uh, to think through there. Um, so uh, let me just uh, backtrack again. He was, in violation, according to what you just read, he was in violation of sexual assault under the NFL's policy, not necessarily local, state, or federal law. Correct. Okay. So that's why when we talk about, well, there's just a difference between what's legal and what is uh, bound by the workplace because of a work agreement. And he he is bound by that CBA, by the workplace agreement that he violated that. That's that was what she was saying there in, in a lot of words. I guess not not a few words. A lot of words she said there. She also, um, she also brought up the point that it is. Did she say it was commonplace? I'm just double checking with you because you've read this four times. That it was commonplace for men if if having just regular like a regular massage that it's not abnormal for a man to have an erection while this is going on. She brought that up. She brought that up. That is correct. And I have had massage therapists tell me that that is normal and how they diffuse that situation is one, they don't call attention to it. And two, they engage in general conversation unrelated. So they just pretend that nothing is happening. And typically that keeps the situation calm and professional. And there you go. So there was nothing illegal about that. And by the way, she spelled it out that what happened wasn't illegal. It just, it was the intent. It was his intent is what she is talking about. Correct. Based on that. Okay. Now on to count two. Okay. I still want your reaction to what you just read. Well, I mean, my reaction is that she just does a very thorough job of explaining here in each of these instances why she finds that Watson is in violation of each of these prongs that the league pointed out uh, with the policy. I mean, that that is my reaction. She is extremely very thorough. Uh, now, her explanations on the final two, I'll, I'll tell you, are a lot shorter than what I just read. So just okay. to, again, it, I, and I'm it, just saying this much, much shorter. Yeah. And I just I want to backtrack on what I'm saying here is as I do every day of my life, and we do this on the show just because it was a byproduct of my life, that I want to know why I'm smarter for why I'm talking about what I'm talking about. And I like she educated me on the process there. And so that's why I'm just, you say, what do you think? And I, I'm telling you why I'm educated. Okay. Count two, conduct that poses a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person. 
Once again, there is no definition provided in the policy or CBA for the pro prohibited conduct of posing a, quote, genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person, end quote. Neither has the NFL provided a definition in connection with this matter. The evidence upon which the NFL relies for proof of this offense, however, is based squarely on the emotional responses of the four therapists to Mr. Watson's, Watson's conduct. For instance, the NFL asserts that the therapists were, quote, fearful, end quote, of Mr. Watson's ability to, quote, use his status as an NFL player to damage their professional careers, end quote. Further evidence identified by the NFL in support of this offense includes testimony from the four therapists. One, one of the therapists told investigator that she sought counseling after her session with Mr. Watson and is struggling to work. Two, another of the therapists reported that she was frustrated, upset, and embarrassed after the session. Three, a third therapist testified that she changed her business practices and suffered from depression and sleeplessness as a result of the incident. And four, the fourth therapist remained uncertain whether she would continue to pursue a career in massage therapy. When comparing the above evidence against the other examples of violent conduct prohibited by the policy, it is apparent that the NFL has taken the occasion to broadly define the concepts of, quote, genuine danger, end quote, quote, safety, end quote, and, quote, well-being, end quote, in its charge against Mr. Watson. As I stated earlier, it is the NFL's policy and it can set the rules. I accept the fact that a work environment with sexualized conduct is not a safe environment, and I accept as credible the testimony of these therapists that they felt unsafe and suffered emotional distress as a result of their massage sessions with Mr. Watson. Based on the NFL's broad interpretation of this prohibited conduct as reflected in the evidence to choose to present, I find that the NFL has carried its burden to prove by a preponderance of the evidence that Mr. Watson's conduct posed a genuine danger to the safety and well-being of another person. Hmm. Uh, your thoughts first. Again, she very specifically lays out. That the uh, NFL proved their case? Yeah, that the, yeah. the NFL proved their case. Remember, the NFL highlighted uh, just a couple of the uh, uh, accusers um, in, in, th in this uh, section of the report. She specifically mentions four therapists and their post-therapy, um, I guess, re reactions. Sure. Um, and, and I think that's a fair way to, to, to put that. Um and why she feels that, yeah, they they uh, fall under uh, this part uh, of the policy and is a violation. I think uh, just a, uh, a step back here, I think it's I, I and I'm just saying this as a reporter. I wonder if any of the women who it's because obviously we know that at least three of the four women here settled with Watson prior to this reading. I wonder if any of them. um are wondering if, if settling was the right thing to do today after listening to that. I, I'm just curious. Like, I wonder, cause I, it, I mean, what you said is pretty heavy, right? There's some pretty heavy stuff there, especially the um, genuine danger or the, the feelings and the emotions and the depression and things like that. I mean, uh, this is all very serious. This is the stuff where people say, I have a daughter, right? That, that, right. that goes right to the, 
I have a daughter and I think this, and I wonder, um, and I wonder about the settlement that happened on Sunday night. Okay. I'm just, again, these are no, questions. And I'll stress, this is my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. And I am not presuming anything or accusing anything. I do think that it was. And neither, neither am I. Right. I Go do ahead. think Sorry. it was based on this report. It probably was a good thing that Deshaun Watson settled a lot of, you know, these cases because this I agree with you on that. This yeah. this report does him no favors. And this report again comes from a former federal judge who right. you know, as we have talked at nauseum about weighing evidence, weighing testimony, depositions, things like that, it, being able to see through what is a he said, she said situation here. So um there is something to be said for that. Again, that's just my opinion, and uh we'll leave it at that. Uh, I want to get get okay. to the, the the third and final uh, do you want to do that now or you want to wait till the next? Yep, because it's very short. Okay, like let's said, go. This, this is short, and then we can uh, wrap up with, uh, in the next segment with uh, final thoughts and uh, ultimately what she determined. Uh, the right. third uh, charge against Watson by the NFL is conduct that undermines or puts at risk the integrity of the NFL. And before I read this, keep in mind, the Houston Texans settled 30 lawsuits uh that alleged that they aided in the behavior that Watson was accused of uh, by these therapists. This is again from Sue L. Robinson's report verbatim unedited. The NFL asserts that Mr. Watson's conduct has quote, undermined the public's confidence in the integrity and reputation of the NFL and its players. End quote, according to the NFL quote, The matters that can affect such integrity and public confidence in the game of professional football evolve and change over time, depending on developments within and external to the league. And the parties to the CBAs have agreed not to operate with a static or frozen definition of conduct detrimental. The NFL has invoked this, quote, detrimental to the league, end quote, language for such conduct as Tom Brady's deflation of the game balls used in the AFC championship game in December 2015 and the 2012 New Orleans Saints, quote, pay for performance, end quote, scheme. Although the above examples were focused on the game of football itself, it clearly is within the purview of the NFL to expand the cope scope of its supervision to a player's private life if he invokes his status as a player while engaging in prohibited conduct. In this regard, the NFL has demonstrated that Mr. Watson identified himself as a player for the NFL to initiate contact with the therapist and used his ties to the Texans to reinforce his requests for massages focused on his lower back, glutes, abs, and groin area. Having established himself in this context, the NFL has further demonstrated that Mr. Watson engaged in sexualized conduct during these massage sessions. I find this evidence sufficient to determine that Mr. Watson's conduct undermined the integrity of the NFL in the eyes of the therapists. Mr. Watson's conduct also has been scrutinized on a national level as Mr. Watson's alleged conduct has been a matter of public record and discourse over an extended period of time. Regardless of my findings, it is apparent that Mr. Watson acted with a reckless disregard for the consequences of his actions by exposing himself and in parentheses and the NFL to such public scrutiny and speculation. Mr. Watson's predatory conduct cast a, quote, negative light on the league and its players and, quote, sufficient proof that he violated this provision of the policy. 
Mm. Wow. Those are the findings of Sue L. Robinson on the three charges the National Football League alleged against Deshaun Watson seeking an indefinite suspension of at least a minimum of one year. Sue Robinson determined six games. She also ruled that Deshaun Watson must limit his massage therapy to club-directed sessions and club-approved massage therapists for the duration of his career. And he is to have no adverse involvement with law enforcement and must not commit any additional violations of the conduct policy. So the back end of that is true for all players, though. That's not like... Well, that second paragraph regarding the massage therapy, that's a big one. No, no, no. I understand that part. But the other, but the law enforcement and the, right. the, the I mean, that's true for all players. And if you're going to abide by this rule. So I get that part. Daryl, I, I just, everything you just read to me, nothing in there screams six games. Why six games? Why not more? Because as she uh, laid out in her, <clears throat> in the next section of the report, which I will not read because that is, that gets lengthy. Um, okay. I mean, I can, I can read that it. was the threat. Well, no, I'm I saying mean, it, I'm basically, happy, I'm, I'm happy to read it. No, no, no. It's, it's I, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, just basically, <laughs> hang on, Daryl. Just, but just what we've heard is that's been the threshold six right. games. And that it, seems to be the reason why past precedent does matter here. Because right. if there was no past precedent, he probably would have got a season. And, 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 and she put in here, it's my responsibility to review any recommended discipline for consistency of treatment, uniformity of standards for parties similarly situated, and patent unfairness or selectivity. Um, and she says, you know, hey, it includes uh, existing disciplinary standards, prior disciplinary outcomes, considering any mig- mitigating or aggravating factors, all with the goal of, uh, you know, reaching a uh, basically a consistent and, and, and fair determination here. Um, I'm now I'm just going to paraphrase these final couple of pages here. Okay, mm-hmm. um, uh, the NFL. She goes the NFL. What the NFL was seeking. NFLPA's response. Um, as she put, I am bound by standards of fairness and consistency of treatment among players similarly similarly situated. The NFL argues that consistency is not possible because there are no similarly situated players by ignoring past decisions because not none involve similar conduct. However, the NFL is not just equating violent conduct with nonviolent conduct, but it has elevated the importance of the latter without any substantial evidence to support its position. While it may be entirely appropriate to more severely disciplined players for nonviolent sexual conduct i do not believe it is appropriate to do so without notice of the extraordinary change this position portends for the nfl and its players so what she's saying is to the nfl very politely if you want more severe penalties for conduct that fall in line of what deshaun watson has been accused of and you know the the policy that she finds him, or portions of the the policy that she found him to be in violation of, which is we've reviewed, are three of them. She's saying, well, then come up with come up with better punishment. Come up with the punishment. It, it sounds to me to like in, in a in a lot of ways she has uh, you know kind of uh, explained everything with Deshaun Watson and also said to the NFL, you need to get your sh you know what together yeah. because you're unbelievably inconsistent in these rulings. 
Yep. And she, and, and, you know, in this paragraph with respect to the appropriate discipline uh, of what the appropriate discipline should be, I note there are aggravating factors applicable to Mr. Watson. That is his lack of expressed remorse. Someone please tell the Haslam's uh, and his tardy notice to the NFL of the first filed lawsuit as to mitigating factors. He is a first offender and had an excellent reputation in his community prior to these events. He cooperated in the investigation and has paid restitution. I believe there she's referencing the settlements. The settlements, yep. I, again, I'm I'm drawing a conclusion there. I want to make that clear to the audience. Uh, well, she wasn't fine, but I mean, it wasn't fine by the league. Uh, uh, let's. Uh, I, I'm going to bring this up. Let's let's take a quick timeout just because I know we're running super heavy here. Um, we're going to come back. We'll talk a little bit more and. I, I, I want to talk about the NFL, what they might do next. And um, can we actually talk about the foot, football aspect of this? Can we do that? Is that possible sure. today? Are we allowed to? Okay. I just want to make sure. All right. It's always game day in Cleveland. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. If you like what you're listening to, well, why don't you subscribe to the podcast? We love having you on board. Back with more on the Deshaun Watson uh, situation and his suspension uh, in a special emergency podcast. Baskin and uh, Ryder right here. It's always game day in Cleveland. It's always game day in Cleveland. It is a special podcast for you. An emergency podcast is what we like to call them when there's breaking news. And the breaking news is Judge Sue L. Robinson, former Judge Sue L. Robinson, uh, decides that six games should be the suspension for Deshaun Watson. No fine. And that I thought that was interesting, too. Uh, and I think that, that that brings me to my next subject here. If the NFL wants to do more or wants to do this without um, – uh, suspending him for any more games, I thought a fine would be interesting that she left the door open for that because she didn't talk any about uh, she didn't talk anything about fiscal matters here. So, Daryl, what do you think the NFL is going to do next? I don't. You may not be able to come up with an answer, but part of the thought process I had goes back to something Mike Florio said. You know, he had said at one point, "Look, it, it, he missed 17 games last year. He's going to miss another six this year. You're looking at 23 games where he'll be out total." And he said the restitution should be pay $10 million back so that last year would be for naught, that he would not have made any money. And I thought it would be interesting if the NFL came back in the next 72 hours and said, we will uphold six games. But Deshaun, you're about to see a $10 million fine. Funny you should mention last year. Okay. Because Suelle Robinson does mention last year. Oh, what did she say? I'm interested. Yes. Although Mr. Watson did not play during the 2021 season, the commissioner declined to put him on administrative leave under which any games missed would be credited against any suspension later imposed. So, so the commissioner, that's why he didn't do it. So basically what she said is, well, the NFL and, and what happened last year with him and the Texans not playing, that was not discipline. That was basically voluntary. And he remember, he got paid last year. The Texans right. paid and, him. And that's why I'm saying the $10 million would be the fine. Right. So that he would have to, he would have to, although where does that money go? Like, where would that $10 million go anyway? Is that going into somebody's that pocket? Goes, or? There, it's, it's in the collective bargaining agreement. I'd have to look that language up. But there is a language about where player fines go and where okay. those funds are directed to. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look. I find it interesting that the NFLPA and Watson, we talked about this earlier, put that statement out Sunday night that we are we are going to accept whatever Sue Robinson rules, and we urge the NFL to do the same. And then Monday afternoon, 
the NFL puts out a statement essentially saying, well, we're just weighing our options right now. And I don't know necessarily that's a great sign. For, do you think that they're waiting to see what the court of public opinion is on this too? I mean, I, think that's, I, I do think that that's part of it. Now, yeah. the court of public opinion in Berea, Ohio, I can tell you is they're falling over each other to get pictures uh, with Deshaun Watson and stuff signed by him. So the court of opinion, don't you agree though? Yeah, that's well, of course, but the court of public opinion in Berea is, well, uh, we see nothing and he's our savior. Like that, that's basically how those fans out there feel. I've not, uh, at least in, within earshot of me, uh, I have not heard any boos. I have not heard anything derogatory yelled from the stands in Watson's direction. I've heard applause, some of it muted, some of it, you know, the latter. He certainly doesn't get the reception that Nick Chubb or Miles Garrett, you know, get. But it is, at least from my perspective, I view it as a very positive reception. It is, mm-hmm. or maybe varies a little much. It is. It has been a positive reception. I've not sensed um, a lot of negativity uh, from the crowd. So, um, yeah, I, I do think that the NFL is weighing here. Uh, you know, the the, the court of a public uh, of public opinion and whether or not they should appeal and then. Because look, I think if they appeal, this is going to be more than six games. I, I think that they are ju- they're going to set a you know they're going to do what Sue L. Robinson said she was not willing to do, and that is set a new precedent regarding an unprecedented situation. Yeah, I just I don't know what it looks like if the league steps on a former federal judge. I just that that to me will uh, well we'll find out. I mean, we are going to find out what it looks like, and that. The, to be honest, if they go, and I'm not saying that, especially based on her findings, that he didn't, that that, that number of games is correct. But what I am saying is, if the league disregards what she says, then the entire thing has been a dog and pony show. Well, and there hasn't been a whole lot of reason for it, other than the fact that the NFL needs to get its you know what together in coming up with uniformed uh, decisions and um, predictable outcomes for said. Uh, uh, misgivings to the uh, to the um, uh, to the what to the uh, help me, Daryl. The personal <laughs> conduct, personal conduct policy, personal conduct policy. That's all I I'm was saying. trying to figure out where you were trying to go with no, that. It's, so. it's personal <laughs> conduct policy. I mean, look, right. if the league decides they're going to go a full season on this, then why do they have Sue Robinson? I mean, I, they have Sue because Robinson they're, because, because they're required to do so under yeah, the because they placated. Team. You know, they just they they kind of said, okay, NFLPA, we'll bring somebody in. Look, but it doesn't I, matter. It's not like they didn't bring someone in that knows what they're doing, and both sides agreed to this. Right. I, it just to to drag this thing that, out even that's more. That's why I say it's not a dog and pony show. Like they they've gone through the process, and if they d- disagree with the uh, final decision, then it is within their right to appeal. And that was collectively bargained. I mean, both sides have the right to appeal this. Watson and the NFLPA have already said they're not going to. They're going to accept her ruling. Right. So, um, look, I understand those that say, well, yeah, this was a dog and pony show or, you know, this is the steps. These are the steps in the process. So uh, it's difficult for me to argue against it. I will say that. You know, these are the conclusions of a former federal judge. That's what I'm and, saying. And, That's and, what and I'm saying. I, yeah. I just, I kind of feel like tremendous weight should be placed upon that. That if she finds that Deshaun Watson violated 
the conduct policy in three different ways in which the NFL argued that he did, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, she basically ruled in favor of the NFL today. She did rule in favor the, of the, the NFL. The, yeah. the only thing that I guess she didn't rule in favor of the NFL today is in the discipline. And she basically outlines that your disciplinary process is 100% flawed. And if you want severe punishments for this type of unprecedented behavior, then y'all need to get together, work it out, and put it in place. Because she was not tasked with um, coming up with unprecedented discipline. She was tasked with coming up with discipline based on existing policies and procedures. Or this specific case. Hence... The yeah. six games, because that's kind of been their baseline is a six game suspension. Yes. Two players. Uh, you know, I'm, I want to find the quote here. Give me a sec. I want to find the paragraph where she outlines that just so people understand yeah. what while you do that. I'll repeat personal conduct about. policy a hundred times over. So I don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. A demonstrative exhibit used during the hearing indicates that since the revisions to the policy from 2015 to date, by far the most commonly imposed discipline for domestic or gendered violence and sexual acts is a six-game suspension. Only two players have been suspended for eight games, one for multiple incidents of domestic violence and the second for the assault of multiple victims. A single player has been suspended for 10 games for multiple instance incidents of domestic violence for which the player pled guilty to battery. It is undisputed that Mr. Watson conduct does not fall into the category of violent conduct that would require the minimum six game suspension. It likewise is undisputed that prior cases involving nonviolent sexual assault have resulted in discipline far less severe than what the NFL proposes here with the most severe penalty being a three game suspension for a player who had been previously warned about his conduct. I am bound by standards of fairness and consistency of treatment among players. Similarly situated. The NFL argues that consistency is not possible because there are no similarly situated players by ignoring past decisions because none involve similar conduct. However, the NFL is not just equating violent conduct with nonviolent conduct, but has elevated the importance of the latter without any substantial evidence to support its position. While it may be entirely appropriate to more severely disciplined players for nonviolent sexual conduct, I do not believe it is appropriate to do so without notice of the ex- Extraordinary change this position portends for the NFL and his players. I think I read that paragraph earlier in the podcast. I I apologize, but I just wanted to kind of go back to that section where she, again, she's saying, hey, if you guys want uh, to include an indefinite suspension with, uh, you know, a minimum of a year, then you guys need to get that in a policy somewhere. You need to get that in writing. Yeah, but that, I got to be honest, Daryl. The, the the NFLPA isn't going to let them make that into a policy, uh, uh, but because right. now you got to collectively bargain that again. So we are de- we're in. It, am I if I'm wrong? Because I just don't want to get my sports mixed up. But right. aren't we in the middle of a ten year CBA? Didn't they do a super long CBA? Or am I uh, yeah, thinking it's of the 10 wrong years. So yeah, here's the Here's a, here's an important paragraph or part of a paragraph that she she uh, wrote. 
Defining prohibited conduct plays a critical role in the rule of law, enabling people to predict the consequences of their behavior. It is inherently unfair to identify conduct as prohibited only after the conduct has been committed, just as it is inherently unjust to change the penalties for such conduct after the fact. As I've noted above, the NFL is a private organization and can operate as it deems fit, but the post hoc determination of what constitutes the prohibited conduct here cannot genuinely satisfy the fairness prong of the standard of review or justify the imposition of the unprecedented sanction requested by the NFL. Hmm. It it's makes me was definitely uh, yeah. written by a judge. Yeah. I, it makes me think of, you know, the whole Ray Rice thing. Like when Ray Rice was suspended, they went back and said, man, we didn't give him enough games. This was wrong. This was wrong. This was wrong. But they didn't fix their policies after that. Correct. And that's where, and it seems to me the NFL is right there again, where the NFL needs to fix their policies. But now, and that's what she's telling them to do. Yeah. So I think I I do think that it's uh it's been enlightening for both sides, and we'll find out what happens within seventy two hours. I think Daryl, we should just uh table the ramifications for what we think this means on the football field for our next podcast. Yeah, because we're not going to know, right? I mean, until yeah. until this is absolute and final. It, it is tough to talk about uh, the on-field ramifications of this because while, yes, this the six-game suspension has been handed down by Sue Robinson, we don't know if the NFL is going to go along with that. They got seven uh, – they got until I believe it's Thursday morning to appeal the decision to the commissioner's office, and then the commissioner decides if he will hear the appeal or if he will appoint somebody – to hear it. And I think the one maybe mistake the NFLPA made in that negotiation of this procedure is the commissioner should not be hearing the appeal. It should have been collectively bargained that somebody else hears the appeal and that once that appeal and then the that's on the NFLPA though, that's their fault. I know. And I think that the compromise to the appeal to that would be the person hears the appeal and then the final discipline, though, goes to the commissioner if and only if the appeal fails and the original ruling is upheld. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Absolutely. So l- let me just give you a recap of what they should be talking about at Browns camp uh, until this thing's settled. So tell me about Deshaun Watson. I got to tell you, yeah, yeah, that's going on. I can't do it. Kate York looks phenomenal. Oh, my God. We've never had a kicker this good. All answers should be Cade York. They should all start with Cade York. There you go. He's not missed yet? 12 for 12? See, there you go, Jinx. And then by saying he's not missed yet. he's. I got news. If me talking about Cade York makes him miss, then I don't need him as my kicker. You're Mr. No-Hitter guy, too, aren't you? No-Hitter, no-Hitter, no-Hitter. I don't say no-Hitter. I never say no-Hitter. Oh, why is that, Andy? Because I don't want to jinx him. (laughs) Thank you for making my case, proving me. All right. Thanks for listening to The Office. I meant thanks for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. (laughs) Daryl, let's come back. Let's talk football in the next podcast. How's that sound? You know, I hope so. Um, uh, You know, I don't enjoy talking about this stuff, um, but I, I just I really felt it was necessary to read her words to our audience 
and as opposed to just us injecting our opinions um, so that our audience really could understand what she found and why. And let them think for themselves. Right. Oh, my God. And, what, uh, wait, wait a minute. That's I, I do believe that's journalism. Stop. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, yeah, and, and, and draw your own conclusions. But um, I, I, I just, again, I feel that a former federal judge handing this down and detailing it the way she did, that carries a tremendous amount of weight from my point of view. And well, let's see. Let's see if the NFL is going to listen. Daryl, it's been a pleasure being with you here on the podcast again today. Uh, hopefully uh, the next podcast, we will have more pleasant matters uh, to discuss like Cade York going Cade 12 York. for 12. Can he keep the perfect streak going? Stop jinxing him. That's what you mean. And, and, how do the quarterbacks behind number four look? In ooh, ooh, uh, what's the field going to look like? We haven't even talked about that yet. That'll be in the next edition of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. For our amazing producer, Meredith Kane, thank you very much. He's Daryl Ryder. I'm Andy Baskin. You've been listening to It's Always Game Day in Cleveland. Uh, if you like what you're listening to, why don't you give us a couple stars? But more importantly, why don't you subscribe to the podcast? Thanks for listening to this edition, a special edition, an emergency edition of It's Always Game Day in Cleveland.